Hey everybody, it's CookPod, the podcast that dares to ask questions to the people sitting at my dining room table. I'm Peter Barrett, your host, and this month marks 10 years exactly since I first got paid to write about food. And I've been doing it ever since, here in New York's Hudson Valley and elsewhere. And over the course of this decade, I've gotten to know a lot of the smart, talented, passionate people working in all different areas of the food universe. I'm going to invite them to my house. They're going to sit at my dining room table, one by one, maybe occasionally in pairs. And we're going to talk about how they got where they are, what they love, what they hate, what they ate, what they ain't, and uh, try and figure some shit out. First up today, we have Jennifer May, who, not coincidentally, was my first ever real colleague in this business. I began writing in January of 2009, uh, professionally anyway. I'd started blogging about three years before that. And Jen was the photographer assigned to uh, shoot the stories that I was writing for Chronogram magazine. Very quickly, we began carpooling to go visit the farmers and different places that we were covering. Got to be really good friends, and I learned a huge amount watching her talent, professionalism, her approach to her work, and uh, she was very influential on my photography and sort of my general approach to the business of food media. You can find her work at jennifermay.com. She's also at jenmayphoto on Instagram. Another piece of housekeeping, the theme music for the show is by my son Milo. You can find him at smilob.com. And I'm cookblog on Instagram. You can also find me at acookblog.com. And this very podcast website is cookpod.net. So here's me talking to the wonderful Jennifer May at my dining room table, almost exactly 10 years from my first paid article for Chronogram. podcast and you're, I listen to a lot of podcasts I'm a huge Good. I love podcasts yeah so, so I, well what do you what do you maybe you'll tell me one I don't know like do you mostly food or everything hmm. used to be everything but I just switched over into mostly food stuff hmm I'd have to think for a minute I mean I listen to This American Life of course listen yeah. to Snap Judgment that's pretty good I listen to uh, th- 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 I can't remember now I'm my mind's a blank because all I'm doing is listening to The Third Plate by Dan Barber oh yeah that's a on the, the CD. It's so good. I'm obsessed with that book. Cool. That I'm one obsessed. I haven't read yet. It's really good. But, you know, he's reading it, so I can really uh, think about him, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's his, obviously his voice. My daughter says, why is he so sad? I'm like, it's not sad. It's his, these are his words. And well, he's and he's, he's just a thoughtful guy. Yeah. Do you know him? Have you? I interviewed him on the phone. Yeah. I have never met him in person. Yeah. yeah. I did too once a long time ago and it was funny. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm. I am obsessed. I wonder how it's going to influence me. But anyway. Well, that that issue of waste is. I, I interviewed um, Lara Gilmore, who's Massimo Bottura's wife, mm-hmm. because they started this not-for-profit um, charitable thing in Italy a couple of years ago, where they're working with um, soup kitchens. I mean, they they started one in particular, but they're they're trying to gar- uh, sort of gather as much restaurant and supermarket waste as they can you know, expired food, most of which is perfectly edible, mm-hmm. um, and consolidate it in 
food pantries and soup kitchens and mm-hmm. cook and get chefs to volunteer their time to, yeah. to train the staff to cook real food from, you know, a yeah. whole crate of, of cabbages that are wilting or, yeah. or yeah. everything else that comes in. Yeah. And so the fact that you have someone as talented as, as Dan Barber on this side of the Atlantic and them over there, yeah. there are a lot of people who are, who are really, Jamie Oliver is doing a bunch in the yeah, UK with true. that. So it's really starting to become a yeah. thing that people, real talented influential yeah. people are yeah. focused on which i think is is a good thing totally we throw away so much food in this society That's it's just absurd crazy and the thing that i like about his book too is it, is he's talking about he's talking about how cultures develop their cuisines by basically scratching scratching the cuisine out of the land right so if you and and here we just came in and we had abundance right when when the you know the settlers marched in there was just Abundance. We could have everything. We could have the steaks and potatoes, and and it and it doesn't exist. That cuisine doesn't exist anywhere else in the world because it's not sustainable. So mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen here because I think we're realizing it's not sustainable. Although at the same time we're making all these fake, you know, fakery foods. That's a whole other development that we can be. Yeah, but but you know, I mean, it, it's the the lab grown meat. I don't really have an opinion on. I mean, it's kind of like it, it's sort of creepy to me on a certain yeah. level. Um, I definitely eat less meat than I used to. I eat a lot less beef. I've been switching to smaller animals because they yeah. just they raise more efficiently on yeah. this land, especially around here. Yeah. Um, but I I think that um, you know one of the ironies to me of like modern veganism in a lot of ways is how much processed food they eat, how much yeah. of that hydrolyzed soy protein that's been compacted into fake hot dogs or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not you know healthier for the land or and it uses a lot of carbon to make that food and transport that food from whatever factory that they stamp those dogs out in you know mm-hmm. so uh it's a complicated issue I, I think a lot of it really comes down as with so many other things to whether um people with healthy priorities get their hands back on the wheel in the near future or they don't and that's right. really an open question so it is <laughs> that's good um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm interested, uh, I wanted to get you here, um, on the early side, just because you, my first ever paid writing gig was for Chronogram in January of 09. So, uh, exactly 10 years ago. Ooh. And you, of course, were the photographer back then. And so, and it was only one or two stories in that we started carpooling to all these different destinations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I don't know. I wanted to start with uh, with you just because you're like my very first coworker, you yeah. know, in the food biz. Um, but also just because, like, I wa- I learned so much just from watching you because oh. you know I was a garbage photographer back then. Like, I didn't. I I was shooting slides of my work. That's really all I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had just a wretched because, and that was film. So I was shooting. You know, I had some horrible point and shoot digital camera from 2006, which is like you know like a flip phone basically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I just, you know, I did my thing and interviewed people and just sort of watched you do your thing. And, and as I, my equipment got better over the years, I, you know, it was mm-hmm. very influential to me to watch you work. And, that is so nice. Well, That's it's true. So cool. well, um, I learned, I learned mostly, mostly what I know from watching and, and, and brainstorming with this photographer that, uh, who's a friend of mine, so I think... And was that, did you study, like, going all the way back to school and before you studied photography? From I studied painting. You studied painting. Yeah, and, a, and some literature. That's what I studied, and drawing. And, and a where bit was, of And where was that? Because I know you're from Vancouver Island, but... Yes, I studied uh, at the Emily Carr 
it's what they what the other the Emily Carr College of Art and Design Emily Carr University of Art and Design they are now they were an institute when I was there so in Vancouver in Vancouver yeah cool. yep and uh, Simon Fraser University I studied uh, I well I studied a lot of things <laughs> I wanted to be a nutritionist for a while so I studied biology and chemistry and I flunked out of those so then I went to uh, English literature. I wanted to be a writer, which I did for a while, and then photography, arts. I don't know. I love making things. You know, I love creating and making things. So I, it was kind of organic. I didn't really know. I was surprised to end up. I, I am surprised to end up doing what I'm doing. But, but it also makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you. So after your studies, how long between then? Because you're a little younger than I am, right? So I just turned fifty. So yeah, I'm not fifty, but I'm I'm up, you know I'm getting there in the in the mids. <laughs> um, and so how long like how long after school was it that did you pursue like a studio art career for a while or did you just start getting jobs? Yeah, no, I. Oh, it's so boring. <laughs> well, you can condense it. <laughs> you can cut it. <laughs> no, I studied. I I. Let's see, what did I do? I, you know, well, I came from Canada and I had met Chris, who's my husband now and a boyfriend at the time. So we've been together for about 24 years, I mm-hmm. think. And his parents were here in Woodstock and we were in Vancouver and we would come here and visit and we loved it here. And he's a painter, so he, we loved going visiting New York. We loved the Hudson Valley. I knew I didn't want to be in Vancouver. I was there for nine years and, you know, the city of concrete and glass, it just, you know, I was done with it. So, um, so I got a job working for Chris's dad doing graphic design, and I did that for about four years. And as I was doing it, I started writing, and I was writing magazine stories for Chronogram and mm-hmm. for other local publications. And I was always writing about farmers, mostly more than chefs, um, and people who are obsessed with food. So like mushroom hunters. And mm-hmm. what year was it that you moved here then? Uh, don't remember. In the nineties, sometime ninety six, uh-huh. maybe something like that. Oh, so you've been here for a long time. I have. Because yeah. I moved to New York in 97, and I was there for 10 years before I came up here. So you really got a, a long head start. been here a while, yeah. like maybe 17 years. And I you think. didn't do time in the city beforehand. You came no, straight here. We That's did. interesting. Okay. Yeah, we came here. We always kind of thought we might get down there, but I don't know. Chris needed space. You know, mm-hmm. He would need a studio. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. Legally, I had to have a job, and I was, you know, so working for Chris's dad and... And then writing, and you know, you can't really get a job being freelance. I, I, papers, you know, all the paperwork I needed. Anyway, so as I was doing the magazine writing, I was starting to take the pictures, and so I would um, write. I would walk around with like my camera and modifiers and lights and lenses and recording equipment and my notebook, <laughs> and it was crazy, right? You've you've done that. I it's, have. It's, it's hard. Too much. The, the one man band thing is difficult. It's, it was too much, and I became way more interested in the photography part. So it kind of, and our friend John Morstead from uh, Montreal at the time would come down and visit us, and he was the photographer at the Globe and Mail, and we'd just like talk about f-stops and talk about shutter speed and talk about lights, and we'd just, we would just drink and take pictures and you know look at things, and I'd phone him, and we'd talk about f-stops some more and <laughs> shutter speeds some more. And, you know, the writing just sort of fell away. It mm-hmm. just fell away and I realized I like writing picture captions that's that was enough for a long time um yeah I don't know did I get to a place where I've answered a question yeah yeah well I was just it's you're the only person I know who did who skipped the whole New York City part I just Mm -hmm. came straight here 
Um, and so this was, and, and it was Chronogram, your first, like writing about food and farmers for Chronogram was sort of your way into that after working for Chris's dad, like you got, I think it was, you met Brian or whoever, Jason yeah. and, and, yeah, yeah, I think it was. And I, I remember being so excited about those first pieces, you know, that I would write and photograph and, oh God, it was so much fun. It was like, so, cause it was the beginning of something, you know, and I could really see it and mm-hmm. feel it and, um. And then I, it, you know, it didn't pay very much, but I always thought, well, it's like being in school and I'm getting paid to learn. What could be better than that? Yeah. You know, it's like being like a, you know, if you're learning <clears throat> to cook and you're in a restaurant and you're just chopping vegetables, but you're getting paid to learn. Sure. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I still prefer, if it's doable, I still prefer to do the words and the pictures. Wow. It's a lot more work, but I just yeah. like, I mean, it was like the book was the perfect example of that. Yes. You know, I made myself half crazy, but at the end of the day, you know, about 95% of what's in that book is mine. And yeah. so it's like as, as someone else who really enjoys making things, yeah. I'm really, really satisfied in a certain way when my hands are engaged in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, the payoff was, was a, a, a much higher level of satisfaction than I would have felt if I'd just written it. Totally, totally. But it's well, a lot more work. And, and just like you said, the sheer quantity of stuff, like I got my recorder in my, in my <laughs> breast pocket here and I got the camera in one hand and the notebook under the arm, right? And the pen behind the ear. It's uh, like, it's a lot to have to schlep around while you're following somebody through the fields or whatever. It's, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then if you record it, you're just recording so that you can take pictures, but then to go back and transcribe. Oh, because you have three hours, just the thing's running for three hours. And my memory's not that good, so I would constantly be going back and checking the notes or really transcribing in the time, like the double editing, the editing of the photos, the editing of the words. Oh, my God. Your memory is probably better than mine. I'm not sure it is. (laughs) It's... it's, I, I would just, you know, I would make little shorthand notations to remind myself of visual things that I wasn't photographing, you know, things, just whatever, like the weather or um, things in in their living room that were behind them when we were talking or things just to remind me to set the scene um, because I would forget those things. There's no question that it's a, it's a huge amount of work. I think partly it's just, um, you know, you started by talking about how you're sort of obsessed with Dan Barber's new book. You know, when you get that, that kind of obsession can actually be really healthy. It can mm-hmm. produce really superb work mm-hmm. um, if you're willing to sort of indulge it. Um, but you're going to suffer inconvenience as you indulge that obsession. There's no question. You totally. have to carry more shit around and just do a lot more busy work. Yeah. Because the, oh man, I can't tell you the photo editing, you know, it's just <laughs> because I shoot like crazy. I don't have anywhere near your skill or confidence. And so I overshoot everything, <laughs> you know, I mean, I shot for that book alone in two years. I shot 55,000 photographs. Oh, Peter. Oh yeah, my because God. I don't, because I was nervous and I was yeah. worried that I wouldn't get it. Yeah, of course. Oh, <laughs> but then you're not sure. Then you're looking at like 15 that are so similar. I mean, I do it too. I, I know exactly what it is. Maybe not. Well, no, but except I see you and you like, yeah. you shoot something twice, maybe three times and you say, okay, we got that. Move on. Like you, that's one of your mantras. <laughs> yeah. Because you can tell, you yeah. know, you can tell that you got it and yeah, that's true. you know your gear inside out. Um, all right. So, so how did you get from being um, the writer turned photographer for Chronogram? Did that sort of expand outwards into Edible and some of the other local gigs? And... You know, at the time, it's funny. I don't even think Edible was around at the time. It went from Chronogram to some other 
local national publications straight to the New York Times, really. Wow. That was the turning point, I'll I say. think. Yeah. And what year was that about? I don't remember. Around it 2000, was... it sounds like, maybe? No, because I was here for quite a while. Maybe 2002, okay. three, something like that, probably. Um, and so how did that, how did those dots connect? You know, I was so obsessed, as you were talking about obsession, and this is actually like the one thing I got from art school, is they would say that you have to be obsessed. And I remember that lesson, and it's funny because then I became obsessed, right? First with writing, and then with photography, and just so obsessed with photography. So when I wasn't taking pictures, I didn't mind. I just, I just lived it, I, I woke it, I dreamed it, I, everything. Um, and so when I wasn't taking pictures or editing or learning or practicing, I would send out mailers. You know, this was sort of before email blasts even were a thing or, you know, before social media at all. So I would make printed cards and, and I made one and sent it to the New York Times and, you know, it was hard to find their name, but, you know, I found somebody and they sent my card to someone and then William Neighbors, who's, uh, still there, he called me the other day, um, uh, he called me in and I went and met him and then he sent me on an assignment. It was like, I don't know, like on the border of New York near Vermont. It was a, this job that ended up being about 14 hours and I did an audio slideshow as well. Mm. I wasn't writing it, but they, you know, of course they wanted all this stuff. And um, it's like a wild pig farm where they were, the cooks were going to slaughter it and cook it, you know, oh, wow. the whole thing, right? So, um, and they, the New York Times at the time were featuring... Um, of restaurants and farms in the Hudson Valley uh, quite a lot. It was like a section they had. So I got a lot of work through them. And yeah. then I just feel like whenever you do something for the New York Times, good things happen. Sure. Just, it's just funny. So from that, I had also written about uh, written about and photographed uh, Josh and Jessica Applestone oh, right, at right. Fleischer's for a couple of publications. They say I wrote their first story, is what they say. Uh-huh. Um, and... So then they had a book come up, so they called me to do their book, and then right at the same time that I was doing that, friends in Montreal recommended me to the Joe Beef guys, so I did their book, and then a blogger, Alana Chernilla in Great Barrington found me through an edible story, so it all kind of happened, started fast. You introduced me to her, I met her at something somewhere. Yeah, interesting. And that book did really well for her, right? Yeah, she went on and did a couple more, and yeah, great. So between the Fleischers, Joe Beef, and her, that was sort of the, your arrival as a major kind yeah, of cookbook I think so. And then it was just snowballing. I just did like six books a year for a long time. And, Amazing. Because that was that Michael Simon was not long after that? Yep, right? Michael Simon. I did three books for him. And uh, Susan Feniger, I flew up to L.A. and did a book for her. And I don't know, went on. It was I can't even remember them all. They're all on my website, so I can sure. sometimes go back and remind myself. Yeah, well, you've, you've got a long, a long story now. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested, like, once you got your skill level up to a certain point where you weren't really, you know, you were sort of fully self-taught and arrived and doing professional gigs on a regular basis and you had your gear and you understood it and... Um, I'm I'm curious how you because you have a very particular style uh, that I've always admired because whether it's really commercial work or whether it's your own stuff, um, it always looks like you. Uh, you're not afraid of darkness, um, which I really like because not enough people use it. Everything's overlit or lots of things are overlit mm. um, because people are trying to make things look cheerful. I think I guess, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I'm sort of curious how like 
how consciously you were sort of trying to steer towards a particular look or if it was sort of just an intuitive process where you liked some things more than others. That is um, so awesome and interesting because I feel like I don't have a style. <laughs> I feel like I, that's so funny that you say that. Like I'm sort of blushing because it's very, it's such a nice compliment, but it, I don't know. I feel like, um, ah, I, no, so uh, the answer is no, I haven't really gone towards having a particular style. I, I guess I just use what I have at the moment, you know, so I, I guess I know what I like or I, um, I'm drawn to what I like in terms of the light. It's, you know, that's, I mean, you could put anything in front of me really as people do, like whether it's a raw slab of meat or a bowl of stew or a salad or a bowl of mashed potatoes or, you know, like a whole cornucopia of of you know farm fresh vegetables which is a delight when that happens but yeah. um <laughs> it is you know it, it can be anything oh my god be, you know the chefs or the food stylists will just throw it down you know and then i have to make sense of it and mm. and so you know i make sense of it through the light really you know um whether it's window light or beam of light or a, or a huge softbox or a little tiny flash or or just some unknown source of light um but I feel like I'm all over the place, actually. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. Well, I'm not saying I could pick out every single shot of hers in a, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, like a police lineup or whatever. But, <laughs> um, but it's definitely, you know, you have a particular... There's also, I think, a naturalism to it. So even if you're doing like a top-down kind of table shot, right, even with or without hands reaching in and, you know, like the messy table spread from above, um, they don't feel... There's a, and I know you work with stylists regularly, mm-hmm. um, but I think your work still feels less styled than a lot of other people's. That is such a nice compliment. That's definitely something I would go for. Definitely, definitely. Especially, I don't know what's going on right now, but with with Instagram, you know, there are so many food pictures, and of course, I follow lots of food people sure. so I, yeah. I, I'm like deleting them constantly because I'm just like oversaturated it's just like <laughs> it's not interesting I'm I'm gonna go off track but when I started this didn't exist so I felt like I felt like I was almost the only one or there were like five of us you know or 20 maybe and it was so exciting because I felt like I had something to offer like yeah. there was a need for food photographers and and I had so much to learn and I was excited to learn it and then it was useful and now it's like the opposite. I feel like, of course... Everybody's a food photographer. Yeah, everyone's a food photographer. And and they're good. A lot of them are good. A lot of them are, are not good. But, you know, there's a lot that are good. Anyway, back to that style. They're, a lot of them are very stylized, which yeah. is... They're nice to look at, but maybe not that interesting, really. You know. Well, I've always been... I think one of the reasons I respond to your work and one of the reasons that you and I just generally uh, get along and, and enjoyed working together is that we both really prefer real life to its kind of manufactured yeah. alternatives for advertising, let's yeah. say. Um, because nobody lives a life that's as perfect as those particular Instagram feeds. You know, nobody, yeah. nobody, you can't, especially nobody with kids in a job, you just can't <laughs> produce things that look like that on mm. a regular basis unless you have a staff, right? Yeah. So um, the what I have always responded to in your work and other people's work that, that I really love to look at is this, uh, apart from visual beauty, is is some kind of accessibility, like in terms of I can not only enjoy that as an image, but I can imagine that image being the product of my natural life and workflow. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that's achievable. So I'm not 
it's not the escapist kind of lifestyle porn that a lot of the magazines are peddling or, or you know, Martha Stewart or the, 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 you know, where you really do need a staff of like a dozen people in order to live a life that looks like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I can look at this one sort of gorgeously roasted hunk of meat that was done outdoors on a fire and say, yeah, I could do that too. Mm-hmm. I need all day to get there. But <laughs> if I light the fire Sunday morning, I can have that for dinner. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and there's something about um, the work that I really respond to, including yours, obviously, that really conveys that somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- were there any particular, um, I don't know, particular books or particular uh, photographers who you sort of said, oh, like this, who you kind of chose as a role model, whether they mentored you in person or not? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> people ask me that sometimes and I, and I don't know. But, you know, the people that the, the team that I've always loved is Gentleman Hires and they've been around forever. They've been around forever and they're still so good. And it's really them. I admire them so much. You know, I almost want to keep them a secret. You know, they're, no, they're no secret, but, you know, yeah. it's almost embarrassing how much I like them. But yeah. I... Well, that's, that's not embarrassing. <laughs> and, you know, and then there are others that I forget their names sometimes, but, you know, I'll pick up a book and I'll be like, oh, of course, you know, it's this person or it's that person. And there are people's styles that, you know, people, photographers I look at, and it's maybe not anything that I would ever do, but it's so interesting what they do, you know. Um, and then there are great travel photographers that, that I love and I'm not traveling. I, I'm thinking, why are these pictures so beautiful? And I'm like, oh yeah, cause they're in, you know, <laughs> they're in the little village in Greece. Of yeah, course, yeah. you know. And, and the light have... doesn't look like that in Woodstock. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. no, and all of the little boxes that the dried fish are in and, yeah. and all these things. Of course, this is a beautiful picture. The yeah. content is beautiful. Well, um, but, but I mean, and I know you shoot beautiful stuff when you go home, right? Cause your brother still lives there. Yeah, my brother, my sister, my mom. All those amazing beach shots and barbecue shots every Mm -hmm. summer that I look forward to. Oh my God, yeah. So my brother, um, he is a, he's a lot of things, but he's a holistic farmer is what he would call himself. So he has, he's living on this family compound that we have on Hornby Island, which is a teensy tiny island off the coast of Vancouver Island. And it's, it's like a summer paradise, really. It's like in July, we go back for July and it's, unbelievable but he's there year-round and he has I don't know how many acres right now um, 30 acres I think and about five of those he is cut down the trees which were kind of all second third growth scrubby things anyway um, and he's planting nuts fruit trees uh, you know stone fruit trees under story berry bushes mm-hmm. mushrooms he's wow. totally into mycology um, so there's that, which I think is so interesting because that's like the 30-year vision. Or yeah, things well, it's go a fast full-on there. sort of permaculture edible forest. Plant. Yes, totally. And so there's that. And then he does also market garden stuff. Less of a market garden, more for the family, more like homesteading. And mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. So he grows things. He is always asking me to tell him what, what um, he wants me to grow so that I can go and pick it and cook it and take pictures when I'm there. And I Great. say anything. Grow anything. And he grows, oh, you can't believe the way, well, you know, you're also, you're doing the same thing, actually. I was going to say you can't believe it, but of course you can. You know how delicious things are when they're grown like that with, well, he uses seaweed, but compost. And, yeah, yeah, no, I wish I was closer to the ocean. That's one of the things I miss, honestly, yeah. is the, just the quality of the seafood and seaweed and everything. Yeah, yeah. His new girlfriend, his fiance now, um, can dive, and she was diving for urchins wow. last summer oh, which man. unfortunately I don't love you don't love them no. I don't think I've had them that many times but 
They're so beautiful. They're invasive. So mm. I'm totally into it. I have to, I'm going to have to trust her this year to cook them for me. And, and then we'll just go for it. Cause yeah. really. Or just eat them raw. I mean, that's kind of how they're best, I think. Oh God. <laughs> you don't have to. But yeah, I mean, they are the beautiful thing about the, the, um, the lower down members of the food chain in the ocean, like shellfish and, and sea urchins and things like that, is that you really can't eat too many of them. Yes. Sp- certainly not farmed uh, oysters and clams and mussels and that you can't eat too many, the more the better. Because you take pressure off the larger species and you pay the farmers a really good wage because that's a good job. It's farming that's decently compensated. And they filter the water, so they make totally. everything better. Yeah, this is all in... Dan Barber's got a chapter about this and oh, great. I'm obsessed right now, as I mentioned, about his book. But yeah, he's going on about that and so great. I want to get to know these fish, the little fish, mm-hmm. all the little fish and no more fancy fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, no, Do you no like more... anchovies and mackerel and things like that? Because I love them. But I they're... love them a bit. Yeah. Chris loves them. So, you know, I want to find them and just go start loving them and, you know, learning to cook them properly. Do you, have you been to Makio, Sushi Makio in Kingston? Nope. Okay. You want to, you want to go check him out because it's the best sushi in a hundred miles. Awesome. Um, no, he's really, he gets really good fish, but he's also, um, he's my guy for having a good variety of the sardini, like the silver oily guys in oh, stock. Nice. So if you want to do a little tasting of, of. Yes. That kind of family of fish. I do. It's, it's a great place to start because they're superbly fresh and awesome. And, yeah. awesome. and it's eight miles from here. Killer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, have you ever gone out for travel gigs? Like, tried for them? Uh, mm. Because you envy other people's work so much. You know. I know, right? It's it's kind of um, it's kind of a problem because I used to want to. I used to dream of shooting for Suver. I always wanted to, and I don't think I ever did. They might have picked up a few pictures I did, but I don't know. I never shot for them. Um, and right now, honestly, with my daughter, she's six. Yeah. I'm not that into travel gigs. And, you know, I think about later, I even think about maybe in a few years or like maybe in five years, we'll just take her out and do homeschool and then just be free and just go. And yeah. like that and traveling's part of the education. Yeah. But right now I'm not really searching for travel gigs mm. I mean it's just I'm just not and even though it's you know my own loss my own photo loss but that said last year I did Joe Beef 2 yeah and I was away from home for 30 days wow <laughs> on that book without her she stayed here that's right yeah. so you know you know it takes a day to drive or half a day to drive there yeah and then a shoot shoot for five days shoot half the day and drive back you know so there were like five trips wow between Must one have been a ton and, of fun, though. I mean, those guys know how to live. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. ton of fun. Crazy. I finally got there last year. Uh, we went just as a family. We finally made it up to Montreal. And oh, my God. We didn't get to... I think um, Mont Lapin had just opened, so mm-hmm. we didn't go there. Mm-hmm. But we went to the other three, mm-hmm. basically in a row. You're joking. No, not in the same... Three consecutive yes. days. Oh, what a dream. Yeah. What and a dream. they took good care of us. They sort of, you know, had some sense of who I was. And, yes. And, and they just couldn't have been nicer. And oh, my God. They really have a very, you know, one of the things that I respond to most, because I'm not much of a restaurant guy, as you know. I really mm-hmm. am sort of always home cooking first. Um, they, they're so warm and hospitable, and it's genuine. It's not like a, I mean, I'm sure it's trained, but it doesn't come off as trained. Yeah. Um, they appear genuinely happy to see you and hang out with you. Yeah, yeah. And they really do want you to geek out about the wine list with them. Oh, yeah. 
and try this thing that you know we only have a couple left and you you really want this if if that's what you like then you should have this and it's just so much fun and the food is delicious and it's not overdone it's not on you know it's sort of right in this sweet spot no. where you're out to eat but it it's still like the warm hug of your grandmother's cooking in a way oh my god they're so good i measure all um wait staff and not restaurants. I don't measure restaurants against them, but I measure all wait staff against them and hospitality. And <laughs> it's uh, nobody, uh, you know, people do live up to it, but it's so disappointing when, when you go out somewhere and, and they're not like that because it's just, doesn't see, I mean, it is hard, I suppose, but it's just so wonderful it's, as a part of the experience. Yeah. They're a family. That's what I've decided. Yeah. They're well, like, that's what it feels like. Yeah. They're that's a family. what it feels like um, in the best possible way. Right. Um, I, I think some of it, honestly, is, is just Canadian niceness. I think this country, certainly parts of this country, are nicer than other parts. But I think a lot of people, a lot of people in that industry, certainly a lot of waitstaff, are trained in a very American way, which is very corporate with a fake smile and certain buzzwords. And you are required to perform those actions with your face and your mouth and you're required to speak those words. And it never feels real because it's so demonstrably not real. It's mm-hmm. fake. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, corporate niceness is the opposite of niceness. Yeah, yeah. You're being handled and managed, and, and nobody likes that. No. It's almost like your boss watching you eat, you know? I mean, it's weird. <laughs> you feel like you're performing for them, you know, instead of the other way around. It's, uh, so I think part of it's that, but part of it is also that, that, it, that, it's, that there's a genuine joie de vivre that that, that, that place is founded on. And yes. they want you to feel that same actual joy, not manufactured, totally. you know, not synthetic, but genuine joy and pleasure. Just like stuffing your face with this gorgeous food. The furthest from manufactured. Oh my gosh. They, those guys, they're some kind of geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> really? How was the, your, um, cause the two books were pretty far apart, right? Like coming, they were, maybe were they 10 years? Close. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't remember. Yeah. I have the other one around yeah. the corner, but it's, it's, um. Five, six, it's been know. a while. So yeah. how how did the relation to the working thing, your work, the, the dynamic between you, the collaboration was it yeah. different on the second one in I some meaningful way? I think it was pretty seamless to yeah. be honest. You know, I hadn't seen them in a while. You know, we'd all had a lot of changes. I think since I had seen, they, you know, I left. The friend Dave had two little children. I came back. They each had three older <laughs> children. Yeah. Um, you know, I had Robin in that time. So, you know, it was probably seven or eight years, I guess, mm-hmm. in between. Um, pretty seamless. Probably, I would guess the only really different change is I'm probably, I was probably more confident photographer than when when I first worked with them. Um, but that said, you know, it's just keeping up with Fred and Dave and Marco and Vanya and Meredith. It's just keeping up. They just throw stuff at me all day long. As as long as I'm there from morning till night, somebody's got an idea. And were, were you styling all that too? Or was there somebody who was ostensibly no. in charge of that? That pretty much, I would say, is Fred and Dave. They were the they were the stylists. So Fred and Dave did the prop styling, you know, because a cookbook shoot or any kind of food shoot is... It's such a collaboration. You know, there's the, there's the photographer, there's assistants. We love an assistant, but don't always get that. I didn't yeah. have that at, you know, that book. That's okay. Um, there's uh, the food stylist and undercooks. There's the prop stylist, often an assistant. There's, you know, art directors. You know, anyway, it can be a huge thing. And with um, Joe Beef, it's really 
small on the photo end. They, of course, have the entire restaurant staff behind them cooking. So, you know, yeah. Um, anyway, Fred and Dave bought all the props, all the beautiful plates, beautiful bowls. Actually, I, I brought up boxes as well. I forgot. I filled my car with boxes of little knickknacks and mm-hmm. little spoons and little bowls and things I think we always need. And boards. I brought all the surfaces. Right. Um, which I would make sometimes for the shoot or I bought a bunch or... And you'd make them just by staining plywood or by getting some old tabletop and tearing it off the thing or... Yeah, both. Yeah, I would usually just tell Chris, my husband, I need something new. (laughs) Because he's a good woodworker, right? Yeah. So so he'd build me something and then I'd get milk paint out and, you know, make a nice surface or rough it up or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I always would wonder what would happen if the border as I crossed the through the driving border what would happen if they took a look at my trunk because it was so full of boards and boxes of little little bowls and spoons um and all my photo gear of course but they never did they never cared yeah Yeah. and the uh so it's it's it was really just you guys doing it without the sort of professional staff that normally accompanies a a totally totally. which must have been a lot more fun but a lot more work as well totally yeah and the thing is we shot so much. I mean, yeah. we shot so much, and they used so much. And and friend Dave, and they just constantly have a new idea, you know. And so they will always want to try something new, and you just say yes. <laughs> I think, I think Meredith in the liner in the acknowledgement says, "You're a yes woman, and we love you for it." That's actually her quote. And I was like, "Yes, well, that's, that's true." That's <laughs> kind of the right answer, though, especially with, when you're with people you actually like, right? Yeah, and just, respect. I just, I was so amazed. I could, you know, even if I was tired, I would be so amazed with what they were showing me that, you know. And so if you're there for a five-day shoot, um, are you doing this in the morning before service at the restaurant? How does well, how did that work with, with them keeping the business open? Yeah, the business was completely open. So there was jo- there's Joe Beef, and then above Joe Beef, they have a small apartment that they host friends and families at sometimes. So I stayed there. So oh. I would arrive at Joe Beef. Um, some of the staff would help me bring up all those boards and my camera gear, which I was so grateful for. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like a studio apartment. So there's the bed and there's a small kitchen, which we didn't... Well, we used a little bit. But basically the bed became a raft. I used to think of it as a raft with all my photo gear. And then I had a table and I had my lights and I had all this stuff. There's a couch where Fred and Dave and Meredith would sit and work on the editing of the book. And Marco would be expediting, basically, running up and down the stairs with all of the other chefs. They were mostly cooking the food downstairs. I think it was quite a strain on the restaurant yeah. because they were cooking for the restaurant and cooking for the, for the book at the same time. Wow. And I didn't see that. I was just at my station sure. by the bed <laughs> on this desk <laughs> shooting stuff. But I, I know that uh, it was a little intense for the rest well, of Well, yeah, because you were like an extra four to eight top upstairs that, That's made, right. that had its own orders that had to come up at some yes. regular intervals. That's right. Oh, my God. Totally. So then we'd be doing that. And then, of course, there were endless little side trips, you know, like Fred or usually Dave would take me off in the car and we'd go visit somebody, just somebody, and go shoot them, come back. Yeah. And you, um, I remember I emailed you asking for advice on what to do in Montreal. And you said, I don't know. I only ever work when I'm here. <laughs> <That's so laughs> Which true. is not the answer I was expecting. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we, we, we figured it out. 
<laughs> I just, you know, I figured you'd be out partying and doing all kinds of stuff with them, and you're basically in the apartment most of the time. Yeah, no partying. Chewing plates of food. Totally. And then when we would stop at, say, like, 9 or 10, I would edit because there was so much. I had to sort it out. I had to get it sorted, you know, because yeah. I didn't have a digital tech and have any assistant. I had to organize those files before they were lost. Plus, I was shooting, like, a little video because I was going to do – I did, like, a little teeny tiny motion Thing, but I didn't know what it was going to be, so I just kept shooting mm-hmm. tons of video. So it was a lot to organize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sounds like a blast. A blast. And you're happy with it. Yes, yes, yes. So happy with it. And it's such a good read. I've just been reading it, you know, Meredith. And, well, she's a great writer. And friend Dave are so interesting. So. Well, that's exciting. Um, and so what, because that just came out. And so what's, what have you been working on that, uh, I want to talk about the studio too, but in terms of books, what... Uh, what have you what's not out yet or what's about to come out or yeah i feel like i have two other books coming out and i can't remember what they both are but which is weird right but you do them a year ago i you know i work they come out a year later so what's on deck I, honestly i'll maybe i'll think of it but um i oh oh god <laughs> yes i did um the Felidia cookbook for lydia bastianich oh, wow. um recently and so that'll be out I'm not sure. Maybe in the spring. You shot that in the city? I did. I shot that in a studio in Brooklyn. So you didn't get to go to Friuli for that one? Mm, No, I did not. (laughs) I'm very sorry to say. (laughs) No. Um, And that was an interesting challenge because, you know, I do like moody pictures. Mm -hmm. And after my first day shooting, um, it was mostly Tanya Bastianich, Lydia's daughter, who was in charge. Um, After my first day shooting, she said, Jen... No more shadows. Don't want to see them. We are light and bright. And I just said, you know what I said? I said, yes. <laughs> of course you did. Yes, I yes. <laughs> we will have brightness. And that was actually a really fun challenge, I will say. Like, I didn't mind, to be honest. You know, she knew what she wanted. Sure. And, and is that as simple as just putting a light on the other side? Or I mean, it's it very sort of simplistically put, if, from your point of view. Because I know, like, I've, it's one of the things we started talking about is how much I love the chiaroscuro in your work mm-hmm. um and is do yeah. you just simply kind of like eliminate the shadows and just kind of shoot more top down like is there a particular well unfortunately or well um no they didn't want top down pictures <laughs> so not too many of those you know i just blasted it with light yeah. i put out a huge light and fill lights and fill cards and everything there were there was just fill everywhere really Maybe, yeah, yeah. My favorite ones, though, are where there's still, like, the hint of a shadow, but it's just <laughs> filled a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are my favorites. Um, so I did that. I did a book also for Molly Stevens, who's, um, she's just an amazing woman. She lives in Vermont. She's been cooking. She's just, like, a perennial cookbook author, I guess, although I think she puts a book out every four or five years or something. And that was one of the most fun books I've ever shot and yeah. it's like there was such a good vibe with us we were maybe four or five days in a studio in Brooklyn and it was me one assistant a food stylist Molly was there to oversee food stylist assistant it was a prop drop so my favorite prop stylist had brought things and then left them there mm. and then I went and picked them out she had kind of said I think this will be good for this dish or this for this dish. So you had more creative control in that regard. I did. And it was so much fun. So much fun. 
really. And they loved everything I did. <laughs> so no problems with shadows or lightness or, mm-hmm. um, and it was fun. And, and, you know, I did extra shots. I'm always doing extra shots, you know, people always want extra shots and sure. Yeah. I don't know if I really even, I think it was because I had more creative control. Yeah. Really. And well, and cause that's something I'm interested in. Um, obviously assistance like just having hands and bodies to move things and do things that you can't be bothered to do or that distract you from your job which is to make beautiful images um i'm sure there are stylists that you love to work with i'm sure there are others less so but um it's always struck me just because you have such a good eye and you have good taste too i mean i see you know the pictures you shoot of just you cooking at home right um things you just do for yourself and your family i mean it's it's the same governing aesthetic mm-hmm. um and the the style you know you, i mean you know me i'm 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 i've always been kind of accidentally in this business just because i stumbled <laughs> to it almost literally by accident and and so and i come from a world where like like uh chris your husband you know where i'm the sole arbiter of all decisions and, and, you know, quality control and everything in my studio. And so to then come into a world where there are lots of other opinions and hands and eyes and things involved, uh, I wonder like how, just because you now have such an unimpeachable resume, are you actively trying to steer yourself towards jobs where you get to sort of be the stylist or maybe not work with one at all, or, you know, have it be just more of the Jen May show in that regard? Cause in a way, um, you know, I think when I came up, I was always the youngest for a lot of a lot of. So I was really lucky to work with food stylists and prop stylists that had been in the business a lot longer than I had, and yeah. and I really leaned on them for their experience or their expertise. Um, I think I think I would probably never be the food stylist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean again, it's just too much. You know, it's like trying to be the writer and the photographer for me. It's it's too much like trying to be the cook and the photographer I mean I could do it but I would maybe do three shots a day rather than you know 10 or 8 or 14 or you know 20 you know whatever um which is not realistic um props I'm props I'm pretty interested in you know I'm gonna I'm building this uh photo studio which is almost done uh, with a full kitchen and you know all of the little things I've collected over the years, so all my boards and yeah. all the dishes I've collected and, you know, always um, looking for more. And I do have a book coming up um, that I'm shooting. It's called Wine Bites. And I'll have, it'll be there at the studio and it'll be with a food stylist and I'm going to be the prop stylist. Mm-hmm. And that will be fun, I think, you know. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, it, it's... I think, like, I mean, if I were hiring you to do a book, I would, I would definitely hire the food stylist with the smallest ego, who was just there to facilitate <laughs> you taking pictures. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's sort of, but that's yeah. me. That's my approach. Yeah. I'm, needless to say, not exactly a, an industry insider in this regard. But um, I think that the, and it, it's not like I can sort of look at a book of yours and be able to determine, you know, how many other people had their fingers in that, yeah. you know, particular image or, or the decisions. But it just seems that um, because you're so creative that, that you know, that having fewer middlemen would be probably a more desirable state of affairs. It's so nice. 
I don't know. Uh, and is that part of what precipitated the studio? Just you being able to kind of, sh- I mean, apart from not traveling as much and being with Robin Moore. And- to be honest, I'm a bit tired of moving the boards and the boxes of yeah. props around. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. And then, and then I was getting a lot of calls over the last couple of years um, by either small, small companies like small gourmet food companies or medium size um, or bigger than you think, but with a small budget yeah. or, you know, companies wanting to shoot for their social media accounts. And I was literally shooting these things in my living room, yeah, yeah. you know, and, you know, a lot of them weren't cooked, so I would just do the styling. Um, mm-hmm. But it's that was just not super fun to be shooting in my living room because the budgets didn't um, there was no budget to include a studio in the city, which can be, you know, the cheapest I'm, I've ever found is $500. And that's going to be in Brooklyn per day mm-hmm. um, to like $1,400 a day in the city or more. Right. And, you know, I thought if I build a studio, I can charge very little or none, depending on the budget, you know, just sort of work it into the, the rate. And um, I'll figure out how that's all going to work. But that's really what it was. Plus this idea, there's so many food photographers out there. And I was like, what could make me different? Sure. You know, what, you know, other than style. Because there's a lot of really talented people Yeah, there, well, sure. and also I have to say, man, I, I got a new body um, just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I am definitely still improving as a photographer. There's no question about that. Because I still i am trying to be mindful and focus on the craft of taking pictures and, and not always just settle back into things I know will work. But, man, does the new technology just take better pictures. Wow. It just does. The chips are smarter. Mm. The glasses, I mean, the glasses just so... Fr- I guess the glass isn't improving the way the processors are mm. and the sensors are. But, holy shit, I mean, the new, the new body I have, it's it, the, the exact same image compared to the old one. It's noticeably better. Wow, yeah, yeah. They're Colors. just... They're just... Like, the color and the... And the that there's just a subtlety and a nuance and the way they're able to shoot in low light is just mind-boggling. It is. It is mind-boggling. They see stuff that I can't even see. I know. I know. I was shooting my daughter last night, um, photographing her out just on the ice. She put her skates on and we went out into the like swamp in the backyard, and, yeah. which was frozen. And yeah, just like shooting like 1-4, just, oh my God, it's like magic. It really is kind of magic. And we have good creamy, you know, bokeh on there. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, holy shit, I can't believe I did this. Yeah, you know? at dusk. Yeah, at dusk, exactly. <laughs> it's, so that's, I mean, that's pretty exciting. But um, so the studio obviously is going to, it'll pay for itself fairly quickly if you're, you know, not having to travel and rent studios for, you know, a thousand bucks a pop or whatever. Mm, yeah, we'll see. Because that, you know, that money always comes out of the client's budget. But will it pay for itself quickly? I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Well, it means you get to work at home more. Yes. Traveling less. Yes. You don't have to clutter your house up with giant oh st- light stands and. Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> and you know, my husband's studio, his where he paints, is all filled with my stuff. He can't uh, paint anymore. So that was the garage, right? Yeah, it's a converted to car garage, and he he just he, it's going to change our lives, regardless how much work I actually do in there. Right. I, I'm telling myself all these things because it's always you know a bit overwhelming to realize how much money you've just spent. <laughs> yeah. First, you know. Well, but I mean, it's you know, it's part. It's the next logical step in your business, right? Yeah. And you're clearly excited about it. I'm right? very excited about it. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. It's yeah. And it it seems like it's it's a 
it's a very tangible step in the direction that I was asking you the question about before, which is getting to the place where you've, you've got your props. Yeah. Your, you've got home field advantage. Even if other people are coming in to work on the shoot, it's still your place with your boards. Yeah. And your, you know. My light. I spent like light. a couple of months just figuring out where to put the windows. Mm-hmm. You know, I always could have had more windows, but I have so many windows. And, and right now, what I'm doing this week is sewing curtains. It's just sort of... Oh, yeah. I saw your Instagram about that or Facebook or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of fabric to cover. I bet. Yeah. But, you know, it's like for the cost of, what, $400, I'm going to have full curtains. And they're, you know, just a really soft white, mm-hmm. slightly... They look slightly unbleached. They're bleached, but mm-hmm. muslin. Oh, it's beautiful. So light. you've got this whole wall of diffusers, basically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Two walls of Two diffusers. walls of diffusers. <laughs> Fantastic. So you can basically have that magic cloudy day light anytime you want. Yes, I can. Yes, or that beautiful under the greenhouse light. Yes, yeah, or this, or like the the sunlight, the sunbeam that's just magically filled. That's, mm-hmm. that's my favorite right now. That's that I can have too. That's fantastic. <laughs> and other because that's always the hard part, right? Isn't it? Is like getting the the, the shadow side of natural sunlight that's slanting yeah. onto the plate. Oh yeah, is keeping it from blowing out or just yeah, yeah. That's super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, like, what uh, what decisions or what, from an architectural or whatever point of view, um, how is building a photo studio from scratch different from just building, like, a guest cottage or a really nicely, you know, a nice room with a lot of windows in it? Yeah. Well, I've never done that. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, the things I wanted, I just started with what I wanted. I wanted, I wanted concrete floors. I wanted high ceilings. So the, the main floor of the studio has 10-foot ceilings. Mm-hmm. I wanted um, lots of windows, you know, that was it. And then I wanted a bathroom and I wanted storage and I just tried to be really basic. Right. And you needed a working kitchen so that working dishes kitchen. can be made there. Yeah. And nice enough that it could be shot, you know, if, if I had somebody cooking, sure. it can be nice enough, but not so nice that it's blowing every budget yeah. you could ever imagine. Right. Um, yeah. Tons of space. I just wanted space. I didn't want any beams coming down and being in my way. So it has a, what's it called? An L-beam kind mm-hmm. of beam they manufactured to so there's no beam in the center it's just one big sure. open space it's so beautiful <laughs> that's great I can't wait to see it. you've got to come and see and it. it's all almost done mm, yeah I think so I mean it looks almost done to me although the excavation on the outside is waiting till spring and okay the, and the painting we missed the, we missed so it. you haven't started working there yet no no we're still Chris is he's tiling the shower today he's going to tile the backsplash around the kitchen sink coming up um all right which is why we were talking about backsplashes that's when we came right in. Yeah. yep yep i'm looking at your your subway tiles with the gray grout liking it <laughs> the gray grout was christine's call and it was a good one it's a, it's a good one yeah oh it's really close it's mm. so a month two months like really soon weeks weeks really like two weeks oh maybe. that's so exciting yeah yeah and then we get rid of all the power tools and bring in all my props and and then i need like i need weeks to just empty my house and empty Chris's studio and just you know I've got all the shelves ready to go ready to be filled well, that's fantastic oh my gosh yeah I can't wait and you know the other thing is I also want to open like I'm not going to use it that much if I get a few jobs a month there I'll be happy really yeah. um, so I want other photographers to think of it and think of it as a space upstate to use cool yeah are you yeah. going to sort of spread the word about that I will yeah I will because why not exactly why not? yeah yeah. Why not indeed? Yeah, for whatever. It's not a ton of parking, but that's okay because we don't want huge events. But, you know, small 
things. Or like that book, remember that, that one day gig you got me just helping the stylist on Rom's book up mm-hmm. on Glasgow or whatever? Something like that you could do on site instead of having to... Exactly. So that's the other thing. For the last bunch of years, I would rent vacation homes and, you know, rent a vacation home and shoot a cookbook there for five days. And I was up front and I always told the people what we were doing, but it's, it's not that fun. <laughs> it's really not fun because you've got all their stuff and it's crowded and you're in their living room and you're trying, you're just setting up your folding tables in the living room and then you're trying to, the, oh, like yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. So. And it's a rental house. So the knives all suck. Yeah. Yeah. And the cutting board is plastic and disgusting. That's right. Yeah. And you're just worried about, you've got all your boards, you know, I bring in all these tabletops and I don't want to mess up anybody's wall, you know? Right. right. That's, that's super cool. Yeah. And so, uh, I just, I guess to conclude, I'm sort of interested in, cause you've now reached this, this level. Um, people are obviously seeking you out. I'm sure you have plenty of work coming to you. And I'm just interested because like you said, now we're in this world where everybody's a food photographer and a lot of people, even just with a phone or a lot of people just have a little, you know, light box set up in their kitchen or something. And they just, you know, and you can tell they're really working every day to put up a couple of photos that have been heavily worked, you know. And uh, I'm just sort of interested, you obviously kind of built but certainly a big chunk of your career before it became as competitive and, and crazy as it is now. And I'm sort of, but I'm just sort of interested in where, I don't know, insofar as you think about, you know, the future of food photography and food styling and the kind of industry side of it, uh, if you have any kind of thoughts about, like, is it sustainable for this to just keep proliferating the way it is? It's, it's... it's interesting. Um, let me come back to that question. I'm going to come back. Don't let me forget. Sure. But, but, you know, the other thing is, I think that with social media and, we, and us following people in our fields, it always seems like everybody's doing what we're doing. I know that I feel like I've said, oh, it seems like everyone's a food photographer. But my sister, who for a long time was an herbalist and dealing with natural healing and, and that kind of thing, she says, <laughs> we've had this conversation, she says, no, everybody's an herbalist, you know, <laughs> or, you know, and if you're into yoga and you follow all the yoga people, I think you would think, God, everyone's, everyone's a yogi or... I even think if you're in a restaurant and you're coming up in the pastry world, people probably think, God, everyone's a pastry chef, you know? Yeah. So I don't really think there's that much competition. Not really. You know, that doesn't really bother me. Um, it it's just bothers me when, when I flood myself with it and I look at it too much. You know, I look at portrait photographers too. So like Frank sure. Ockenfels III, I don't know. He's someone I've loved forever. And it's like a treat to follow him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's surprising because he he works with light and stuff too. But it's what am I trying to say? Just I think when we are doing something and we only follow those people or only look at those people, then we make ourselves think that everybody's doing that. But I don't really. So to get back to your question, is it sustainable? I think it is. I think it's changing. You know, it's it's different. Um, but it's always different. Like when I was coming up in the world, I would hear about food photographers who could shoot a few jobs a year and live a really lavish lifestyle because it was very expensive and and now you know the cost of entry is much less cameras are cheaper yeah people understand light more you know you can buy lighting tools cheaper more is expected you know like where it's gonna go i guess the trick that i'm trying the thing i'm trying to balance is 
you know, I can go out and do a job and it's just me, you know, and I'm shooting yeah. a cookbook and it's, maybe I'm with a restaurant, but I'm like, I'm not answering this question very well, but. That's okay. You are. <laughs> you're thinking it out. I'm as in, it. in real life. Yeah. What I need to figure out is how I can, uh, how can I say this? There's, with food photography, it's often a, quite a large team that goes into it. So there's the photographer, the food stylist, the prop stylist and multiple assistants, maybe digital tech. That's nice to have all that, but you can also go out just yourself, you know, just yeah. with a camera and, and do also beautiful work, which is fine. The problem is when clients call wanting, you know, they see work that you've done that took maybe, you know, a team of 12 people to create yeah. and, and they want that, but they want to pay for one person to go. Sure. That is, I think, what we're navigating right now. Because you have, you know, I'll say bloggers or social media people with their one person or like, I'm still answering it very well, but. No, you are. You are. <laughs> well, because it is, an on, it, it is an evolving situation. It yeah. is, and the technology and the, and the, the media side of it has changed. I asked this, a lot of what you were just saying, I mean, I'm curious because, you know, I shot the Fish and Game book. It was just me mm-hmm. in the private dining room. Mm-hmm. During service, <laughs> because they didn't have this, they didn't have the crew to make the menu for me ahead of time. So no. I had to be there when the public was there downstairs, yeah. and they would just run yeah. the menu up to me because yeah. it was all tasting menu at the time. Now it's different, but um, I had a flash and a bounce card and my mm-hmm. tripod and a you know a light stand and you know my entire gear I could just fit on my shoulder and under my arm, mm-hmm. and I'd set up and I shot it but the plates came up the way they went out into the dining room they mm-hmm. would just bring me a an order of whatever and i just so i you know my because i'm I, this sort of you know outsider who accidentally ended up doing this i didn't come up through like working on all these other shoots or working on this or that and so i just kind of made my own workplace because i was they just let me do it because they didn't have anyone to manage me mm-hmm. um it, that's how i did it too you know honestly when i did the first joe beef book i was in their kitchen shooting food mm-hmm. before, sometimes before, well, I don't know if it went out to the table, but, you know, it came off the stove and right in front of me and I was bumping into people and it's pretty realistic at yeah. restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a skill you pick up quickly, like how to work in a kitchen when people are actually That's in the kitchen right. working. That's right. How to be the fly on the wall without like getting stabbed. You That's know? right. You've learned these words. Behind. <laughs> yeah, Behind. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm super excited for the studio and stuff like that because, you know, obviously as somebody for whom a studio was, you know, the essential component of my life yeah. for 20 years. Yeah. It's yeah. so nice to have, like yeah. you said, even just the storage space, but just, you know, a clean place that's yeah. yours. Yeah. You can even just go and sit in there. I know, I might. <laughs> I you know, might. You can bring, I don't know if you edit on a laptop or a desktop, but you can just go sit in and do your photo editing there. I or know. Like answer emails in there. It's like I your know. office too now, I you know? know. I'm going to love that. I know. That's the thing. Like, if it, if it earns back what I spent on it, would be awesome. And it might it over will. years. Like, it, it, it actually probably will. But, yeah. but, like, taking that pressure off, just thinking about how it's just going to change our life on a daily, yeah. daily way. And, you know, I have to say this, like, as the, as the, as the son of a, of a mother who really um, had a pretty interesting career and worked her ass off, um, it's great for your, it's going to be great for Robin to see you, mm. to mm-hmm. see more of you at work. Yeah, more that's of true. you just being like yeah. it's it's I can't overstate how important it is for kids to see yeah. their parents, especially moms, obviously, even though it's a different world than it was when my mom was doing it. But um 
it's just it's just a great thing for kids yeah. to see creative parents yeah. doing their creative work yeah. as a job. I totally agree. And you know, looking at watching somebody edit on the computer is not <laughs> watching someone be. You know what I mean? Like when because when she comes in and then I'm hassled, I'm just like, no, 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 Robin, I can't. You know, you know, yeah. it's not. You know, but in editing. a few years she can be your little assistant. You know? Yeah, she would. I actually already have plans because I want to teach her about money. I think I think I learned about money not so much from my parents, but. I was hired, you know, I would clean the beach of glass mm. when I was growing up and, you know, for 25 cents a bucket and I would catch shiners for five cents a piece, you know, and sell them to my grandfather to go fishing. And, um, like, I want her to wash props, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, okay, this shelf, a dollar, you wash the shelf, wash all the dust off these props. <laughs> That'll be good. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah. It really will. Well, thank you for coming. Really... Thank you, Peter. This is so fun. This yeah. is uh, really very, um. Very flattering. It's fun to sit and talk about yourself. Like you're so interesting. For well, you are that. though, and I mean, <laughs> and I meant what I said at the beginning. I mean, you really were such a huge influence on so much of what I ended up doing. That's really cool. That's really cool. So thank you. Well, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Jennifer May, check her work out. She's one of the best in the business. JenniferMay.com. She's also at Jen May Photo on Instagram. I'm Cookblog on Instagram, a cookblog.com, cookpod.net. Theme music by my son Milo Barrett, smilob.com. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. And remember, the single most profoundly delicious thing you ever ate still ended up in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs>